You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. From Vineyard Theater in New York City, this is Theater Uncorked. Where Vineyard artists come together to talk about the process of bringing new works to the stage. I'm your host, Eric Pargach. For episode eight, we are joined by playwright Tori Sampson and director Whitney White, who are currently working on a developmental lab presentation of Tori's play, This Land Was Made. Vineyard's developmental labs allow a playwright and director to explore a work in progress on its feet in collaboration with a full creative team and include staging and design elements. Vineyard members get to book in first to these limited-run presentations. Tori Sampson recently received her MFA in playwriting from Yale School of Drama. The developmental lab presentation of This Land Was Made is her New York playwriting debut. A Boston native, Tori has two plays that will receive productions in 2019. If Pretty Hurts, Ugly Must Be a Motherfucker, which will be produced at Playwrights Horizons, and Cadillac Crew, which will debut at Yale Repertory Theater. Her plays have been developed at Great Plains Theater Conference, Berkeley Repertory Theater's The Ground Floor Residency Program, Victory Garden's Ignition Festival of New Plays, Playwrights Foundation, and Ubuntu Festival. Tori is a Playwrights Center Jerome Fellow and a McKnight Fellow. She received the Paula Vogel Award in Playwriting from the Kennedy Center, has had two plays appear on the Kilroy's list, and was a finalist for both the Alliance Theatre's Canada Prize and the Susan Smith Blackburn Prize. Tori is currently working on commissions from Berkeley Repertory Theatre, Yale Repertory Theatre, and Atlantic Theatre Company. She holds a BS in sociology from Ball State University. Whitney White is a director, musician, and actor. Her directing credits include Othello at Trinity Rep, Blood Wedding for Atlantic Acting School and NYU's Tisch School of the Arts, Freedom Riders at the New York Musical Festival, and Macbeth in Stride at Miami Theatre Center. She has been an associate director on Broadway for Marvin's Room and at Roundabout for If I Forget. She will be directing Rita Tambien Rita at Juilliard and Alicia Harris's What to Send Up at the Movement. She is associate director for the upcoming The Secret Life of Bees at Atlantic Theatre. Whitney was the inaugural Roundabout Directing Fellow and is currently a 2050 Fellow at the New York Theatre Workshop. 
This year, she will be in residency at Ars Nova as part of their 2018 Makers Lab and at the Drama League as part of their Next Wave residency, where she is developing an African-American production of Anton Chekhov's Three Sisters set to original music. She holds an MFA in acting from Brown University Trinity Rep and a BA from Northwestern University. We are thrilled these two could join us for the developmental lab presentations of This Land Was Made, July 26th through July 28th. And now, this is Tori Sampson and Whitney White in Theater Uncorked at the Vineyard. We met on the first day of rehearsal. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of crazy. We actually, yeah, we had like a couple, a bunch of phone calls and we're repped by the same kick-ass people and they connected us. They sent me her play. And I just loved it. And then I found out more about her. And we're both like Caribbeans and doing all the things. And so I just tried to woo her. <laughs> and then we met the first day of rehearsal. I feel like we really bonded over our mutual love of, of rhythm. Um, and that was that was exciting uh, to me because I, I haven't really been talking with a lot of writers that immediately that were like immediately talking about that. And it like really kind of got me excited about the text. And then also just, we talked about her. She's such an interesting person and how she came up with this play and where it all came from and the history of the Black Panthers. And it was just so different than everything else that I'm working on in a very focused way. There's something that Tori said to me yesterday. It's like, she said, you know, I've seen the power of these scenes. And that's kind of what I got from the script when I first read it. There's a power in the language. Um, there's a power in the ideas that are being expressed and a kind of power in the way the dialogue is delivered and the characters themselves that felt very fresh to me. Um, very forward thinking, very, very now, even though it's a period piece. And there is something about that word that kind of manifested itself to me when I first read it. I just like page turn, page turn, page turn. Um, and it, the piece, the more you get into it, it really, you just sink into the world. It's funny, it's like set in a bar. I don't know, this is you probably, this is the first time I've ever said this. But it's like set in a bar and people are like drinking and there's something about the text you like, it's like having a drink, like you get into it, the more it goes and you just settle into the world. And I felt like when I was reading it, I was very well taken care of. Like the world was so clear to me and the characters were so bold um, that it would be a great thing to share with an audience. So that was kind of my experience of reading it before meeting her and talking to her. Is that weird? It's like so weird to hear me like fangirling <laughs> no, about you over very, here. Very, very kind. I mean, I think, I mean, one of the things that Whitney said that's important to me as a writer, I mean, I write, I've written a couple of period pieces, I guess, but it's important to me that when I do write these pieces that I'm really true to my understanding of period um, and what the similarities to like how people reacted to life in the 50s or 60s or 40s whatever period I'm talking about to what how we react to things now so I really love writing about women in ways that I saw um, like character traits that I saw in my mother or my grandmother that aren't actually portrayed so much in period pieces mm. and so it's important to me that like women curse and women talk about love and sex and bodies and uh talk about power and talk you know and take that power and aren't always um that their storylines aren't always there 
uh, just to help the men get to where they need to go. And if I'm being true to a, a period or what was important at that time, and if I am going to talk about the relationship between a man and a woman or, and like what a woman's role was in that, that time period, it's important to me that it's nuanced and that she mm-hmm. is making decisions in this play and that we can see those decisions and we can see where the impetus for those things are. And so I think that like when Whitney says like it's fresh, that's important to me that people, you know, might walk into one of my plays and say like I'm going to go see a period piece, but walk out feeling like I can relate to that woman and not so much mm-hmm. like I feel like my grandmother could relate to her, but I can um, because there are much more similarities between generations that I think than we get to explore on stage. I think this is so important what she's talking about, because especially with black work, there's just there's a lot of work out there that presents you like Negroes of the in the past with like a very rose tinted thing, a very blunt edge, a very like soft thing about it. And that's just not happening here. You know, it's a real world. They're real people and they have edge. And I was just like excited to be working on a black piece that was set in a period that had the same kind of edge that I feel I have in my life. Um, so I think this is big, what she's talking about. My mother was raised by Panthers and I was raised in Panther ideology. So for me, that through line of like activism, that through line of black power, that through line of like what it means to live your life in service to the community around you is what I was raised in. And so I've always seen the world in that way. And so I guess to look at the Panthers for me, it was like, oh, I'm connecting with my history. And that through line through like, well, what does that mean for today? It's always been very clear for me. Um, it's, it's, it's never something I've had to piece together. I think what's interesting is the way that people, like, what is revolution? I think that's a, mm. a, a question that this this play asks is like, what what is revolution and what's the cyclical nature of revolution? Um, and so I think that's where I started to, try to piece things together. I mean, we're talking about the relationship between black people and authority, the relationship between black people and police, uh, and how this relationship has just been tainted since the very beginning. I was actually reading this article the other day that was talking about, I think it was like 1940-something. I I don't want to put a, the last number on it, but uh, it was like the, the, the time that the first black police officers were hired in Atlanta, Georgia, and they weren't allowed to carry guns. They weren't allowed to stop white people in cars and they weren't allowed to step foot uh, into police headquarters. So they their uh, headquarters were inside the YWCA or something. Right. So like you're even talking about like um, one of the characters in the play talks about like uh, black people's ability to join and assimilate into this culture and like how knew that is that that idea of assimilation so like how uh how 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 do we start talking about trust in a in a specific nature where there it was not built on trust you know what i mean and there that's never been a thing and so i think when you talk about revolution and you talk about uh the black panthers you talk about activism it's always been about like freedom and trust and so how are we, how is that uh, progressing and how much of it is a cycle, is it moving in a cyclical nature, um, is, which is very interesting to me. How many times do we get like a king, uh, uh, a X, you know, a Huey, a Sojourner, a Rosa, mm-hmm. and how much are they able to accomplish? 
And then when does it die out? And when do, do we have a, another tragedy and, and look for another leader? And how much are they able to accomplish? And are we moving forward with that? Or do we stop and have to start? You know what I mean? If that's sort of... Um, what is what is that system like? It's like amazing to hear you say that because I think we're so arrogant and we're also very ignorant, especially as a culture and uh, American culture. So, you know, there's so much happening right now with BLM, but it's like this issue of things being cyclical and these leaders that pop up and then going away and us looking for another and in each period kind of restarting in this way, thinking that we're starting from jump, but we're not starting from jump. It's like all of these protests are part of a larger historical thing. And if we don't really look backward on what's been achieved, which I think the play forces the audience to look backward and and forward in this interesting way, it's like, how can you actually have successful um, organized revolution if you're not really cognizant of where we're coming from and where we're going? So that's that's a really dope idea too you know about how the play is highlighting uh this period in time and this leader huey who honestly there's not much theater at all that features that character that human being so that was another thing that was really dope about the piece it's like i haven't really i haven't had the opportunity to work on a text that was showing me a snapshot of huey newton in a particular context i feel like i've I've gotten a look at pieces on Dr. King and Malcolm X and several other leaders, but that was like really new territory for me. And just realizing how little I knew about this man. Like I knew so much about this movement, but not much about the man. So that's another thing about the power of the play is it's just like bringing you deeper into this world um, that concerns itself with a lot of the politics that the Black Lives Matter movement is concerning itself with now. So it's like you're getting a lesson in the play. Yeah, I have the, I'm in like this interesting spot right now where I'm working on this play and I wrote this play first and then, and then later on or the beginning of next year, I'll start working on another play I wrote um, called Cadillac Crew, which is about women's roles in revolutionary movements. And so it's interesting that I'm, you know, being able to take a look at this era in time that's coming right after the civil rights era and how big the men are and their roles in society and in these movements. And then to sort of take my mind off of that and to say, oh, well, what is it? What are women's roles in revolutionary movements and like, how are they doing? What And what is the connection and disconnect from that? And I think in this play, in this land was made, we start to see a little bit of the generational disconnect and we start to see, um, what is in the black community how do you prioritize whose needs uh come first and i think you can't really talk about this you know in an honest way you really can't talk about revolution you really can't talk about the progression of black people in america without talking about that because it's it's such a huge um, conversation when we talk about um black people's assimilation or finding their ground in this the fabric of america and a lot of it has to do with the way that the black men do it first and then what are you know are we the backbone are we you know as women and yeah so it's interesting i think this play is helping me uh understand more of the way the women are reacting and acting uh in relationship to the men and and helping it's helping to inform my other play at the same time about like uh what is it like if 
we're not talking about Huey and we're talking about Asada. You know what I mean? So like that's also been interesting and the actors have been really great um, with their questions and, and interrogation um, of the characters that have been helping to inform my year of um, <laughs> period pieces. I love that. Tori's year of period pieces. Yeah. Girl, let me read that memoir. That's good. Hello, it is Ryan and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. I did this show in Oakland last summer. And one of the responses I got from the community was, we're so happy to see this play because we don't learn about the Panthers in this way. And I was like, Oakland? Like, how do you, you don't know, like, how is there not, how is there not a myriad of, like, information and stories and just, like, teachings going on? Um, but they're still, I, Oakland's still struggling with their perception of Huey and if they want to teach the Black Panthers in their school systems. And I think I find that to be so interesting. Uh, I mean, I grew up with thinking, like, the Black Panther party was amazing and that uh the people involved in like Huey and Bobby that you know they were kings and they had the best interest of the black community at heart and uh their vision was a, a an equal America America that was built on equity um where people would have peace and so you know I, I just grew up thinking that the Panthers were amazing uh that I mean no no human being is without fault you know and so I, would, I don't think I was force fed, you know, that, that these, that this group of people, that these revolutionaries were at all Jesus Christ. But I, 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 I did have a great understanding of their passion for, um, for equality, their passion for equity. I think freedom for black people is something we're still fighting for. And I think it's, it's a word that, um, it's such an elusive word. It's a word that escapes people's idea of like what freedom is. You know, we're walking around free, but it's like we're not at the same time. You know what I mean? And I think that for uh, I grew up thinking and, and being taught about the Panthers fight for that freedom. And if somebody dedicates their entire life for my freedom, there's no way I'm going to be like, you know, you're not a good person. You know, I, I, there's no way I could, I could look at that in that, in that light. Um, and so I tried to give a, a full picture of, of who Huey was. I mean, even in this play, I think he's not mm -hmm. like a perfect, you know what I mean? Yeah. And we're not painting him as a perfect person, but even if you think about the free lunch program now that mm -hmm. exists in all the school systems, the Black Panthers started the free lunch program. Yeah. Um, and they don't get credit for that, you know? Uh, like free babysitting, uh, college courses, uh, bus rides. Like, yeah. I mean, they really took care of their communities. That was a part of the mission of, of the Panthers. And I think sometimes we get the image of the guns and the bullets uh, and the black leather jackets and the berets and just like walking through the streets armed and not enough images of like tutoring kids and taking care of families and taking care of the elderly yeah. walking women home late at night ensuring that people men and women and children weren't getting harassed by white officers like 
yeah, this this is huge. Yeah. And when you like look at it, I mean, this is a very intense and larger dialogue, but you can look at the systematic kind of governmental response to the movement and how it's not taught. I mean, education is something that is regulated, you know. So your understanding, the culture's the the like America's understanding of anything is curated, particularly of like black people and black history. So it's like we all have to interrogate our curated notions about the Black Panther movement and it being scary or dangerous because those are things that uh, are coming from other bodies that are dictating that, you know. So it's really, I hope, if anything, people come and see this play, this workshop, uh, and then we do the play. Uh, but they, they're forced to go and look again. I mean, because it's interesting, those numbered points they have of the party, over half of them, it's just like the constitutional preamble, but just added a couple more specific things in the beginning about like uh, black safety and health and well-being. It became this dangerous thing. Like I straight up read the points and it's just like what's in the Constitution with a few other things. And somehow they became so dangerous. So it's just really interesting when you like just go and read their papers, read their pamphlets and see what's in there. You might agree with a lot of it, you know. Yeah, it's like so interesting. Like I, I think it was like last year, the year before, the Texas public school systems decided that they like rewrote their history books, and the new edition um, says that like uh, slave, like presents slavery as a job, and that like <laughs> slaves were, you know, really happy, really happy to work and got paid. That's like literally what it says in the Texas uh, school books now, and this is like elementary, and middle school. And it's like that's just the way that we decide as Americans <laughs> to erase history. And so, I don't know, um, one of the Black Panthers, Elaine Brown, uh, came to see the show in Oakland. And she said, you know, and I'm really nervous about that because I'm like, this was like the the 50th anniversary of the Black Panthers was last year. The show went up in Oakland last year and Panthers came to see the show. And I'm like, oh, you know, my only thing is like, I hope I did not fuck this up, you know? And Elaine said, uh, there was the closest that she'd ever seen Huey to reality. Mm. And she was so happy and so proud of like a vision and a version of Huey that that she remembers that lived in her heart. And so that made me feel like, you know, I didn't go to the extreme of saying like he was a perfect person. And I didn't go to the extreme of saying like he was a dangerous person. I just gave the information that I felt was necessary to paint him as a three dimensional person. And that somebody who knew him felt like it was a good job, so I'm, I'm okay with I'm okay with that. Working on a development lab is very different than doing a full play because you have more time to work on it, more time to work with the actors, more time to investigate the text. Um, from a playwright's perspective, I think that's what I'm I am looking at as like the differences. And when you could talk more about like staging and like relationships or whatever, you know, it's rushed. It's like a, a mm-hmm. rushed process but in the rushing you can't help but like learn something every day because the actors are you know giving their all and doing the best that they can and investigating with the time that they have and the questions are coming like rapid fire and so it's making me question the play more and question like the arcs more what's happening here what's happening here what's happening here um and whether or not 
the play answers those questions. So that's what I, I think about in rehearsal every day. And that's what I think about when I go home is I sort of write down everybody's questions that they have about the play. And I try to see like, OK, maybe the question they had on page three is answered on 21. They'll figure that out. And like maybe the question they had on page 17 is not answered in the play at all. That's on me. I need to figure that out. Mm-hmm. And so that's what this part. I mean, this that's the most valuable portion of this process for me is like how to tighten up my play uh, and make it, you know, really available for actors in the future. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. It's like 10 days will never be the same as six weeks, you know. But for me, directing it, it's funny because they came to me, they're like, this can look however you think it might look, you know, and I've done a lot of 10 day labs because we work in theater, resources can be tight. So it's as a director, a lot of these kind of in-between opportunities come my way. And I've definitely done some where, hey, we're all at music stands and we're just really focusing on the text. But lately, and largely due to the directors that I feel I've been working with and learning from, I'm in this place where I'm like, go for it. Go for as much as you can. You know, interrogate the text as much as you can. Stay true to the text as much as you can. Put up as much work as you can. And it definitely takes a different level of focus for me, but I was able to get a team together that was as passionate about Tori's play as I was. And I was like, you guys come on board and help me do this. So I was able to get a scenic designer, able to get a sound designer, a lighting designer and costumes and the kind of uh, team I would have on a full production. And that's because of the power of her play. Like I sent them this play. I was like, you know, I have what I have to offer you, but read this. Let's do this. And they all were like, yes, they all said yes to it. And so, you know, I have a guy who made me a set in two days. A beautiful set. It's you know so what gorgeous. I'm saying? Dan Soul. And I have a lighting designer who's working on every big show around town, but he's taking time off to come here and do what I need him to do. And we have a team that is very diverse. We have designers of color. We're both black women. And I feel like there's nothing like it in the city right now. We have a really unique team surrounding this project. So it's like, yeah, I'm staying up late at night and waking up very early, but I kind of have this crazy opportunity to put this up um, in a very lived in way. And it's been really, really thrilling because those questions she's talking about that we get, you know, you're getting these questions so rapid fire And it's like, can you, how much can you pivot? How much can you give? Um, It's just been like, it's like doing a bicep curl. It's been a really wonderful process for me, I have to say. And then more than that, it's like, you know, Tori is a very focused writer. And what she writes, she means. And there's something about that that is just refreshing for me as a director because I have to work to make her text work with these actors in a great way and it's like they have to live in it so it's great to be working on a text where it's not about rewrites all the time it's actually about me like working with actors and finding it up on its feet with which is like a whole different a whole different thing because a lot of times in new play processes you're just it's just about new pages every day new pages new pages new things new things and can they just get the words out but it's like no actually we can trust this text and let's like let's work it out and go for it so 
that's like that's actually directing you know that's what you're supposed to be doing so it's been great to actually be able to direct during this lab because of the play you know it's like they gave us the keys i feel like there's a lot of trust because they were like here you know what i mean Every theater is different. Every theater is like a home, right? And the artistic director kind of dictates the politics and culture surrounding that home. And I feel that Sarah just gave us the keys. I remember when I met her, she's like, here's a space. Come by and visit. Think about the piece whenever you want and let me know what you need. And and day one, we had the theater and a rehearsal space. So it was like we got to move in immediately that is extremely rare to be able to get up and be on stage with the objects you want to use with the set you want i mean that's how like the europeans do it that's why european theater can be so amazing when it comes here right because they have these companies of people that will like go out and work on a thing for for weeks for months with the real objects and that's just very hard to do here when most theaters have seasons that are stacked right so it's like as soon as you rehearse you've got to go on stage and then the next people are rehearsing in a rehearsal hall it's very rare to have the hall and theater to your disposal it's like it's been a lifesaver i think because i think if we had to just magically get up on our feet during tech uh, i wouldn't be able to do what i've been able to do so that alone has been amazing to just have the building and all the resources and just go for it so that's been really good yeah sarah and i think i met sarah a couple years ago when i was in class um we came to see uh my my teacher came to um the class is called seeing plays in new york and so we just come to new york every week and go see plays with amy herzog who teaches the class and it's lovely and we sit down every week and talk to somebody at the theater and so we were coming to see dot uh Mm. a couple years ago and we sat down with sarah and i remember thinking like i just like her energy like she was it was an easy like conversation to have with them the three three women in my class and uh we came and see, we saw Dot. We loved it. You know, it was great energy. And Sarah came to see my shows um, at Yale. And she was the first, that was the first phone call I got when I graduated. It was the first opportunity. She offered me my first opportunity to have my work done here. Oh, that's amazing. And so, yeah. And so, you know, she was the first person who said yes to my work in the city. And so I'll, I'm always grateful for that. And so we've been, it ha- we've been an an ongoing conversation for a year about this play and about this opportunity and about this lab and what it can be and what I'm interested in exploring in the play. And I mean, she's always made herself available um, for the conversations. And I mean, this opportunity working with the vineyard, I I just, I fall more in love with the vineyard every day um, because of that, because this is, I, I guess I'm learning the New York landscape through my time at the Vineyard. I mean, I hope everybody else is as kind as Sarah and the people here. But uh, yeah, I'm extremely, extremely grateful for this opportunity and for everybody's kindness and being pulled together. I got to be a part of the like photo shoots for the season. <laughs> I mean, it was just amazing. I was just like, you look so I, badass in that picture. <laughs> like, too. My agent said, she's like, this is Tori's play. I read the play. I was like, this play is badass. And then she sent me this picture of you like next to a car. I was like, this chick is the shit. We like, had so much fun. <laughs> we had so much fun. And I was just like, oh, I get to be a part of that. You know, I, I got to just like, they kind of rolled out the carpet for me. Like, this is what your life could be. So I was like, this is great. Um, and it's been it's been the royal treatment ever since. So um, I'm, I'm, I'm really grateful for, for the Vineyard and for their commitment to this play and to new play development. 
because it's a big ask, you know. It's a big ask to give, like, two emerging artists the keys to your house. And that's what they they gave us. And it's it's just been, it's been really affirming and positive. Yeah, I think being affirmed in this industry is so important. Yeah. And I think, you know, we kind of forget about... Uh, when you're doing the work and you're consistently doing the work, whatever it is on your own, like the hustle bustle. And then when somebody says yes to you, it just, I mean, it skyrockets your ideas of like what you can do. Mm -hmm. It makes you feel like what you are doing is worth it and you're on the right path. And if you just keep, you know, chipping away Mm -hmm. that, you know, you'll have a career in the city. And so that affirmation, I think you're able to walk into the rehearsal room and walk into this building with, you know, with pride, with your chest out a little bit, saying, like, I belong here. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Because they're not just going to say yes to anything, and they're but they're saying yes to you. Mm-hmm. And they have faith in what you're doing. They have faith in what you're bringing to the American theater. And they have faith that you can entertain their audiences. And that's not a small thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, yay to affirmation. It's cool. Yeah, it's like my word today. <laughs> I affirm, I affirm. Yeah. Come see our, our yeah, lab. Yeah, come see our lab. <laughs> Come out, see Tori's play. Um, you're going to leave feeling very good and very stimulated. We have some really great actors. Oh, my gosh. Let's I, just see if we can name them all. I know. Cara Patterson. Yes. Lauren E. Banks. McKinley Belcher. John Orsini. Uh-huh. Sean Higgins. Sean Higgins. Elijah. Yes. Elijah Martinez. Mm-hmm. Um, Austin. Yes. Jessica Francis Dukes. Yes. James C. Alfred. Yes. Did we do it? I think we did it. <laughs> They're all amazing. It. I mean, no, that's the it. other thing is like we got to cast some of the best actors in the city. These are these they weren't they're like Broadway actors, people you Namir see on Smallwood. TV. Namir Smallwood. <laughs> Namir. Namir is in Passover Namir. right now. Yeah. Like, you know, that's the other thing is like they really gave us all the resources. And it's a big show. That's like ten, nine, ten people. Yeah. Um and we have a kick ass dramaturg, Taylor Barfield. Yes. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. So yeah, come and just come see it. Twenty sixth <laughs> to the twenty eighth. Thanks to Tori Sampson and Whitney White for joining us on the podcast. Theater Uncorked was produced, edited, and created by me, Eric Pargach, with production help from Jason Nauer. This will be my last podcast here. I'm off to a new job in Los Angeles, but the podcast will return in the fall. It's been an absolute pleasure to bring you Theater Uncorked at the Vineyard. And thanks so much to everyone who helped make this podcast happen over the last few years. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just gonna circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.